0: Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare.
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm Rafi Salazar, your host, but you already knew that from the intro. If you're new, thanks for showing up and spending a little bit of time with us. Our goal here at the show is really just to explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Sometimes that means we're talking to a business professional or an entrepreneur, maybe bringing a new business model or a new product to the market. Sometimes we're talking to academics about research and clinical decision-making, and then, like today, we're talking to a boots-on-the-ground clinician who's doing something novel or innovative. My guest this week is Lauren Sheehan. She's an occupational therapist, and she's involved in, uh, for lack of a better word, the tech space, technology and rehabilitation. So... I hope you enjoy this interview. Before we get to it, I just want to mention, if you are new and you want to subscribe, you can go find us at iTunes at the Better Outcomes Show. You can find all the places to follow, subscribe, download, all that kind of good stuff at www.betteroutcomes.show. Now, I think I say this a lot of times, (laughs) just going back, listening to all the other episodes that we've done to date and i always want to say something along the lines of i'm excited to bring you this interview but i don't think it it is any less true today than it was on the first the first interview that i brought to y'all with this show i think we have just got a lot of good a lot of good guests on the show that kind of vary in their experience and their approach and their really their role within the healthcare space i like being able to have conversations with people that are in academia and doing research part of my background as a former um, academic at a at a uh, graduate program doing research kind of I'm always kind of thinking about it and uh, it's it's got part of my conscious mind cognitive capacities are still very much involved in uh, clinical decision making and that sort of thing but then being able to talk to boots on the ground clinicians who are doing things that are really cool and are non-traditional you know i myself came from a a standard specialty outpatient rehab clinic doing treatment and providing treatment for for veterans at the at the va experiencing chronic pain experiencing musculoskeletal issues and and post-surgical rehabilitation and i was very blessed early on in my career really like five years into my clinical career to step away from that a little bit to do some management consulting in in the state of Georgia, doing projects that involved policy writing and uh, standard operational procedures and clinical guidelines and providing clinical oversight to a whole state uh, system. And it's just really, really cool to be able to step away from the clinic to do that kind of stuff now, I've recently purchased a physical therapy clinic, and now I'm getting back into doing hands-on care again, which I'm excited about. And I think ultimately I, I got into healthcare because I like building relationships with people. So I'm looking forward to doing some of that again. Um, but I know that a lot, of, a lot of the people that reach out to me and a lot of the, 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 f- the chatter that I see on the interwebs, on the forums here, are really... Uh, A lot of clinicians that are maybe doing the staff therapy thing they're working as uh, maybe a treatment lead or lead clinician and they're looking for something different something interesting Um, and my guest this week like I mentioned Lauren really has done a great job in her own personal career of kind of taking that plunge if you would and leaving the world of just standard clinical care and moving more towards um, integrating new technologies so a little bit about her before we jump in Lauren has been an OT for a, a number of years she did the, the clinical thing as well and was a, a rehab manager uh, but then she stepped away to work on a couple startup companies in the rehab tech space so the first one was um, neurofect and now she's at NeuroLutions, and they're basically bringing products to market that are specific for uh, patients experiencing neurological deficits, so patients that have had a stroke, perhaps. And the one that she's working on now, she talks a little bit about in the in the forthcoming interview, is pretty interesting. It's like a brain-computer interface, which is pretty sweet. And uh, as a clinician out there listening, you might want to, you know, be tempted to think, well, how could I ever get involved in that? Listening to her story is just pretty cool. So we talk a little bit about her story, how she decided to make the shift from a clinician to sort of a clinic manager, a clinical consultant in the tech space, in the UX design, um, and then market development or product development space. And then we talk a little bit about how do we get organizations, Clinics, individual clinicians to incorporate some of this new technology. Because again, as we've heard on episode, I can't remember which episode it was where we had Darren Schwindemann on from uh, creative distillery talking about knowledge translation. If there's not a system in place for the carryover of whatever technology it could be the best tool in the world, then it's not going to take, hold the way you want it to. So we talk a little bit about that. You've got this new technology. How, what's the best way to implement it in your clinical practice so that it, it, it gets used appropriately, gets used on the right patients, and the patients ultimately get the benefit of this tool um, to help improve their their clinical outcomes, right? That's what we're all about at the show, better outcomes. So I hope you find the interview uh, entertaining and insightful. I know I enjoyed uh Talking with with uh, Lauren about all of it, about the tech side of things, about some of the behavioral psychology side of things, and and making, um, and the knowledge translation and making it stick, so to speak, and then she also shares a little bit about their upcoming uh, rehab tech summit. I'll link to all of that in the show notes if you want to go read about the the virtual summit that's going to be taking place in February. Um, register, sign up if you want to, if you're interested in that kind of thing and you want to learn more about it. I know they've got a lot of speakers lined up, a lot of cool um, tracks, one for uh, folks that are in uh, the clinical world trying to make a, tra- a career transition into working in tech and then also connecting developers and investors with clinicians. So it's, it's a pretty cool uh, summit it looks like they're putting together, and I'll link to that in the show notes. So without further ado, here is Lauren Sheehan talking about technology in rehab. Well, hey, Lauren, welcome to the show. How are you?
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Doing well. How about you?
1: I'm doing all right. Can't complain. Uh, Before we jump in to the topic at hand, which is all about tech in the rehab space, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work?
2: Absolutely. Um, I have been an occupational therapist for, gosh, it's easy to lose track. Uh, for about 14 years. And I started out in outpatient um, neuro practice. I've really been in neuro my whole career. Uh, and about four and a half years ago, I had an opportunity to transition into an industry role, uh, which I know we'll talk a little bit more about. But essentially, I um, The first startup that I worked for uh, has all been, all of my work in tech has been in the startup space, uh, I'll preface, and the first startup I worked for um, was developing rehab technology for um, individuals after stroke, and I've kind of followed that same path with my background in neuro, um, have always been in technology development that serves the neuro population, so uh, left, um, Neofect is the first company that I worked for to come on board with another startup by the name of Neuralutions, and we are um, developing brain-computer interface technology for stroke rehabilitation as well. So, made the the leap from longtime um, clinic practitioner, spent a little time in uh, administration and management to kind of learn the business side of healthcare and then moved over into the technology development space uh, and absolutely love it um, on the industry side. Yeah.
1: Well, let's, let's hang out here for a little bit. So what made you decide like, okay, I'm a, I'm a clinician. I think a lot of people naturally think, okay, I'm a clinician. I'll go be a manager. I'll do some administration. So what, what was it for you that like made the switch in your mind to say, I'm just going to do something totally like Leave my job and go work at a startup in a in a technology oriented field.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it's interesting to tell that story because for me it was really accidental. <laughs> um, you know, I think in our careers as therapists. And just as humans we're kind of always following the next thread that's pulling us along and I had an opportunity to work with a patient who introduced me to a piece of technology. Um, he was using the uh, at the time the Neofect smart glove um, as an early beta tester and his family was very much um, into tech. He himself was a game programmer by background, um, had a stroke in his early 40s. And we were just looking for something to really engage him in therapy at home. And so um, he and his wife found the product. And um, at the time, there were a few uh, home-based users. and. Folks from the company got involved and just wanted to know more about him because, of course, with his technology background, he had a lot to say about the product and how he used it. And uh, then I got involved in giving feedback as his therapist, as his home-based therapist. Um, I was seeing him in private practice at the time. And um, one thing led to another. And as I was working with him and the product and you know, asked, being asked for some feedback around the usefulness of the tool and um you know the the clinician experience and using the technology as well as the patient experience uh, I just really fell in love with the creative process of seeing something move from you know kind of its current state to uh, evolution and getting better to serve the patient and we, we get to see that in small ways, I think, in the clinic, but yeah. I think with technology um, and technology development, that trajectory can happen a little bit more quickly. And for a startup, it's all about, you know, kind of iterating and continuing to make improvements. And so I think my love of seeing client improvement and seeing clients be served in a clinical setting. And of course, my passion for neuro. As well as you know, being able to serve a larger scale of patients and kind of a population-based way, if I'm on the side of you know helping companies develop technology that can better serve our individuals post-stroke, um, just seemed to me kind of like a no-brainer. So I courted the company for a while, or they courted me. It was probably kind of a mutual <laughs> courting. Yeah. Um, and about six months later, uh, we sort of co-created my job to come on board, and I was the first U.S. clinician on the team at the time.
1: Okay, cool. And you were kind of like a clinical advisor of sorts yeah, to this company. My
2: title was clinical manager, um, which within you know rehabilitation technology companies, that's kind of a, a standard title or role. Um, someone to speak the voice of the the client um, and speak the voice of the clinician. Uh, as the product is being developed, you know, as sales and marketing are being developed, I'm kind of being that patient and clinician voice of the user.
1: Yeah. Well, and kind of on that line, so you went from being a clinician to being this clinical director or clinic, what was the title?
2: Clinical manager. Clinical
1: manager. Yeah. Where you're kind of providing some (laughs) advisory services to the, both to the company that's working for you maybe or that you're working for and maybe even the, the clinicians that are trying to implement the, the technology like what kind of adjustment period was there for that and did you find like any of the clinical skills that you had carrying over well into that role or was it kind of like a man I got to hit the books and learn a whole different skill set or mindset even
2: yeah I mean it's a it's a great question and I think for those like you that have open practices, you know, when we get anywhere outside of the clinic, we're using a different set of skills. Um, but of course, there are some things that cross over pretty seamlessly. I think for me, in working for a startup, was just understanding how startups work. You know, that's a whole learning curve and kind of it's a, a whole, different culture, uh, right? A whole different culture and a different set of terminology, and really a a different business model and a different set of stakeholders. You know, if you're within a a clinic setting, you have you know your business stakeholders. Obviously, you have your um, your clinicians that are involved in the business model, and you have your patients as stakeholders, but when you work for a startup, especially um, investors and the board, you know, you've got a whole another set of folks that have a vested interest, um, quite literally, in the success of the product and of the uh, approach to, you know, improving patient care, if that's your desired outcome. So, just a different business model, different, different stakeholders, um, as kind of folks to answer to, um, and bring into the loop about what it is that you're developing, as well as I would say, different leadership structure, um, some of, and many, you know, especially early stage startups are scrappy and very small yeah. and you wear so many different hats. Um, I was talking to another therapist. That's had startup experience recently and, you know, it wouldn't be unlikely for me to answer the phone on a customer service call, you know, or to troubleshoot tech with a clinician or a business partner. Like you just kind of do everything, um, develop marketing materials. So I think being comfortable not knowing and being willing to jump into some of those roles and learn as you go, just you know as a member of the team and trying to contribute in any way possible um was a little different you know your streamlined role in the clinic has a little more definition <laughs> than yeah, for uh, sure wearing a startup hat for sure
1: yeah well i don't know i don't know about you but i kind of i love that so i'm i'm involved in a startup right now with it's work continuing education cra learning but um you know there's six of us or five of us on the team and it is like one of those, well, like, well maybe I'm going to handle the marketing this week or you're going to be answering an email. And, but part of that is so for me anyways, is almost invigorating. Like I like the spontaneity exciting. of what happens. Absolutely. Yes.
2: Yeah. You definitely have to give up the need for delineation of yeah. roles and just have, uh, I think it requires better communication in terms of kind of the cross functionality. But I would say that that's another thing too, you know, I hadn't ever worked directly with engineers and product developers and software people previous to this um, this role, and now uh, in my current position, I have moved into a little bit more of a product manager role. So I'm regularly interfacing with our developers and with our designers, and working on you know UI implementation and user research, and and so really into kind of the tech creation. Uh, and I think that came with time and being able to um, sit at the table with these cross-functional teams and and learn about kind of how I could bring value. Um, The other things you had asked about kind of what carried over from the clinic. I think the biggest thing that I saw, you know, being able to translate well is just our ability as clinicians, and particularly in the therapeutic space of uh, relationship building. Um, Most businesses are relationship businesses, and, and technology is no different. You know, you're developing relationships with your stakeholders, which are many—you know, the clinicians that are interested in using your product, the key opinion leaders that you um, want to, you know, give input on the direction of your product, um, the users, of course, the end users—but um, it's really a lot about relationship building and and leveraging those relationships to um, continue to make product improvements for the betterment ultimately of of the client or that end user
1: yeah have you found it kind of difficult to um i guess so i i was in in clinical work for a long time then i went into did consulting did some policy work did a lot of marketing for for other organizations and at some point along the line at least i found it difficult to to remember that the whole reason i got into doing what i was doing was because of patients, right like i imagine in the tech space, so you're developing this technology and you're looking at hitting your next series of funding and you know all of that, that it can be easy to kind of miss out on that. Did you experience that at all or is, has it always been since you're called to neuro, you're kind of in neuro, it's all kind of gelling for you?
2: Yeah, super great question. I mean, I think in the time of COVID, things have been a little bit different for all of us, right? So we've had to connect with, with our users. Users in a different way, but it's allowed us to open up some doors to having online focus groups, um, you know, with past research participants, and uh, just getting creative about how we continue to keep the lines of communication open with that end user in mind. Um, one of the things that I've been really passionate about is making sure that other members of the team that, because I, I've really tried to. Um, and have been able to maintain kind of that, uh, relational aspect with the the client. Either there's a product that I'm actually, um, working with teaching them directly. Um, for the first company I worked for, we had a direct to consumer product. So we would, you know, set up training sessions and actually train the end user,
1: um, oh, nice. yeah.
2: using telehealth technology and, and uh, so lots of interaction with the actual user of the product. Um, the company I'm at currently is, is uh, doesn't have a product yet on the market. So we're very much still in kind of research and development mode, but making sure that my team members that are not clinical are introduced to patients and end users and get a chance to hear from them about their experience of their stroke or whatever the scenario is um get a chance to um even see simple things like how they move and how things like spasticity influence the use of the technology that's being created. So I think it's really important to make sure that everyone on the team has a clear picture of who who they're serving. Um, and yeah. that's just that can be challenging when you're dealing with people that are kind of at all um, in all aspects of product creation.
1: Yeah, well, I'm sure for a clinician, maybe on the receiving end of like a sales message or a marketing message or something you can, I've been in that situation, I'm sure you have too, where the person is trying to explain the product and you can tell that they have no idea how it's gonna be used in the clinic. They just think it's a really cool piece of technology. And as a clinician, you're like, yeah, that's not gonna work in this situation, at least it's not gonna work for me, but they don't get it because they've never had that conversation with a clinician about the application of, of the technology, right?
2: Absolutely. And that's how a lot of startups start. You know, I came on board with a startup that was already, that already had a product on the market that was already putting product in the hands of patients and clinicians without a clinician on board. Yeah. You know, and it's amazing that that still happens. And that's another one of my, you know, soapboxes. And one of the reasons that um I was so excited to create this community of the Rehab Tech Summit is. We want these early stage companies that are in product development, that have this really great idea, that are trying to bring it to clinicians and patients to get clinicians involved in the development process as early as possible. So they're not creating something that either doesn't have value or that is going to be very difficult to um, fit into the models, you know, of of clinical practice that are currently. Um, happening. So yeah, definitely another one of my soapboxes. And I think, you know, clinicians are well positioned to be in that early group of um, professionals that can provide our insight about the client experience and the clinical experience. You know, how does this technology fit um, our our models and the constraints of the clinic and the demands of the clinic. Um, and does it bring the value that it needs to to get over the hurdle there?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let, that's a great segue, like this whole I- idea of we take, we understand kind of the clinical side, the application. So in in rehab in particular, which is where, you know I'm an occupational therapist, you're an occupational therapist, we hang out with a lot of other therapists. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the rehab space in particular, where do you see the the biggest potential for either using a new technology or implementing technology that's already available to better the outcomes for our patients?
2: Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I think our powers of observation as clinicians and our ability to uh, assess with our eyes and our experience is really powerful. but I think the ways that technology, can be leveraged to help us continue um, to sort of hone those observational abilities is just to be able to provide us with metrics that we can't see with our own eyes. Um, For example, you know, in neuro rehab, the trajectory of of stroke rehabilitation, particularly upper extremity rehab is long and arduous for a lot of our patients. And sometimes it's difficult as a clinician to be able to provide all the level of detail that we need to to really argue that we're making a difference in the patient's you know functional outcomes, um, because that process of improvement of quality of movement and you know limb uh, functional improvement over time can be so slow. I think. We need some of the metrics that technology can provide us to show change, whether that's um, a measure of improved smoothness of movement or some force metrics that we can get from different pieces of technology in the clinical setting, Um, or even things like skeleton tracking that can tell us a degree of movement from or shift from midline that we might be able to see with our eyes, but can't necessarily quantify. So I think it it really helps us dive deeper into a a data driven kind of objective approach to um, measurement of improvement that can help us speak to the value of our care and um, provide some more uh, data that that really allows us to say, yes, we're making a difference. And maybe we're not quite to that next stage of function for this patient, but this is how they're improving. And, and this is how it's making a difference in their life.
1: Yeah, no, it's really interesting. You you bring up the whole data. You know, big data is huge now these days, especially in the healthcare space. But I did a, a project for a startup in the space um, and they were basically a, a platform to, that they were using for treatment more or less. And I brought up the point of like, why are you not using, it was integrated with like a camera and they were picking up the patient. I was like, why are you not trying to gather data? And the person that was running it who was not a clinician said, well, we don't wanna overwhelm the clinicians with data but it is a very useful treatment modality. And my thought was as a clinician, that's what I like, if I could use it as a treatment modality and it's delivering data to me that I can then turn around and justify the the, the treatment or the continuation of treatment, is just, that would be the the win-win for me. But it's funny that some folks just don't, haven't gotten that yet.
2: Definitely. And and to your point about big data, you know, when we have enough data and enough data sets, there's so much opportunity to leverage um, understanding more about the trajectory of rehab. You know, we can collect a lot of data on a lot of patients using technology over a shorter period of time and to a a pretty, um, you know, a degree of specificity. And then we can start to see trends and use things like AI to even have some predictive modeling around uh, patient improvement. Uh, I don't think we're quite there yet in rehab, but we're definitely headed in that direction. And I think technology can, can help us have a better understanding of this type of patient, given, you know, these inputs and these types of interventions, you know, generally see this trajectory of, of improvement. And, uh, I think it can just help us also to your point, justify our treatment, um, a little bit with with a little bit more granularity.
1: Yeah. Have you, have you discovered, or have you seen, because one of the, at least one of the, the things that I see in the big data movement is the idea and the, the temptation to simplify everything down to a number, right? Like, unfortunately, the people that are running the numbers and the data spreadsheets, calculations and all that kind of stuff don't come from a clinical background, right? They're data science folks, they're data analytics folks. um, And the, the tension, let's call it the creative tension between being able to project based off the data that we have, what treatment might look like and what we can justify versus the individual situation, you know, Mr. Smith that just had a stroke and maybe he's got different factors, be they psychosocial or physical, then that might alter his his treatment path, right?
2: Absolutely. And I don't think it's ever, particularly in neuro, going to be a plug-and-play situation, yeah. right? That's why clinicians will always be needed to use that clinical reasoning and to look at all of the patient factors. Um, But I think there are some things that we can learn on a more, uh, you know, on a, on a greater scale than we've even had the data to start assessing.
1: Yeah. Bigger Um, patterns, right?
2: Yeah. Bigger patterns, um, bigger projections, uh, just an ability to look at a lot of people in a similar state over a longer period of time, again, with, with that level of detail that we don't necessarily have access to now. So uh, will will it allow us to sort of, yeah, plug in a, a patient scenario and get an output? I don't I don't think that's necessarily the goal and I don't think that will get there, but I do think that there will be some important learnings um, from big data down the road.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I think I had this conversation with the guys from from Traser on a recent episode and they do AI technology for for something for to quantify movement. And we had the conversation about, well, is AI going to replace therapists, you know? And even he, he runs this AI company. He was like, no, there's always, the best clinicians are always going to have a place because you need the clinical reasoning.
2: Absolutely. Um,
1: but if if you can use AI as like a force multiplier to really up your effectiveness, then we're, that's where the money is, right? <laughs> right.
2: Definitely. And I think it's just a call to therapists to see, you know, and to the, their rehab, community to see what is possible with some of those metrics. Um, and I just don't think we've embraced enough of that kind of data modeling in rehab science to, to really even know what we could glean from it. Potential at this is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and that kind of leads into the next series of questions, which is what are the challenges? Like, why haven't, why hasn't this taken more of a flight in the rehab community because obviously reimbursement keeps going down and it's harder and harder to justify treatment so there obviously there has to be some kind of hang-up why clinicians and organizations aren't reaching out to something like technology that can give them the data that would justify their existence right
2: yeah you know i think i think we sometimes get stuck in the models that exist limiting us from Using what we could have access to in the data, uh, or kind of the potential of technology to tell a different story. Um, it's hard as a, you know, as a technology provider to sometimes get in the door just because those barriers to um, bringing something on in the clinic. There's a cost, right? There's a time component to training. Um, as a clinician working in neuro for years and years, you know, over the course of my clinical experience, and I'm sure yours and everyone's that has been practicing um, now for a while, just having to do more with less in the clinic makes technology adoption more challenging because it's, you know, I think for many clinicians and probably even on the administrative side, it's, it's sometimes seen as like one more thing that I have to implement into my already really strung out a practice yeah. um, and so I think that that's probably one of the largest barriers to entry um, the the cost time wise and dollars um, for the perceived value particularly if I haven't you know, gotten a chance to really see whatever this new technology is make a a major difference in either the quality of my care, the outcomes, or the, you know, the data that I can use for justification. It can be hard to get in the door for a lot of of technologies.
1: Yeah. Well, and have you found things like, I don't know, EMR integrations or things like that helping that? Because if it's like I'm just thinking. So I own a, a physical therapy clinic and we have things. And if I had if I knew that we could implement this technology and it would automatically integrate with our EMR and it would help the clinicians' documentations, I'd be like, that's a no-brainer. Let's do it. But a lot of times you're dealing with it's it's clunky, right? You got to do it over here, then you gotta copy and paste, and you gotta move all this. And some even the clinicians are like, I don't got time in my day to to do Absolutely.
2: another thing, right? Yep. Yep. Another platform, another place that I have to log into another thing that I have to learn how to manage another potential opportunity for equipment to break down. I mean, there are just there are a lot of things that uh, more time potentially in my session to set it up. Yeah, I do think interoperability, of course, is hopefully the way that we're going in a lot of facets of of tech related to healthcare And I think in order to truly be a solution that has the value um, in time and, and dollars, uh, we have to get closer to being able to you know, create the APIs that allow us to dump data more easily into the EMRs. And of course, there are challenges there, right? Yeah. You know, gatekeeping, it's very sensitive information. Opening some of those doors is really challenging to even get access for some of that integration. So I definitely think that would help in the the uptake of technology, but um, we've got some hills to climb in terms of being able to integrate solutions. Uh, but absolutely, I think as much as we can make it easy um, to see that value and to communicate it to, in our documentation and to our payers, um, the more you know, readily we'll see clinicians and facilities um, being willing to to bring on new technology.
1: Yeah. Have you seen in your work, have you seen like a, a model, if you would, of implementation that kind of works good given our kind of disjointed healthcare system?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, the, the facilities that really do technology adoption well have typically de- dedicated teams um, a committee, for example, that is looking at technology, you know, so if a company comes in with a new tech product, um, there are a group of of cross-disciplinary therapists that are sitting down and saying, you know, how does this fit um, with what we're already offering? Does it serve a different population or the same population in a different way than what we already have to offer? I think sometimes too, you know, it's possible to get for some of these institutions that are very much about technology adoption to get technology overload. <laughs> like, yeah. which robotic device do I choose <laughs> for my patient today? Um, and so I think really taking a strategic approach to what type of technology has the evidence to support, you know, bringing on for the, the population that we serve in my clinical setting and Um, How can I justify, again, the value versus the cost? And then I think, you know, there's more to technology integration than just getting it in the door. And I think that's where the facilities and organizations that do it well know that and continue to champion technology. So there's um, structure around therapists maybe having a train-the-trainer model or, um, really an understanding of the fact that integration needs knowledge translation and making yes. sure that, that there's um, savvy clinicians that know how to use the technology. They know how to apply it. And there's regular opportunity for sort of retraining or refreshing. And then also Longitudinally that facilities are looking at how the products are being used right, so we get it in the door we've done our due diligence, we know this is a product that has a good level of evidence we're excited about it there's. um, Technology champions to support it and people that can train within the facility and then we're also regularly looking at how the technology is used and how it could be used better or differently, maybe. There's new research that shows its application to a different population, you know, so it's not just kind of one and done. You've got this piece of technology because then it comes in and it sits on the shelf.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And
2: we see that a lot. So it's very much an active process of technology integration um, that requires kind of some scaffolding at the clinic level to to make sure that it's really successful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that too, where you have some some snazzy new piece of equipment and it's nice and pretty. And then it sits on the, sh- on the shelf and then in it's six months, it's
2: a very expensive coat hanger. After exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I know you mentioned it at the very beginning of the show, but tell us a little bit about this community you're building and about this, this tech rehab summit, because it sounds pretty interesting.
2: Yeah. So, uh, another OT and myself, um, her name's Rahima Hamraj. Um, She's worked in tech on the age tech side, and of course I've been in medical device um, research and development, and we, uh, you know, we've heard from a lot of clinicians that have interest in technology, and we've met with and interacted with a lot of companies that have a need for clinician input, and we really just wanted to create a community of folks that are both interested in um, better ways to integrate technology into their practice, as well as developing their skills, um, potentially to prepare them for technology-related fields. Um, you know, I know there are a lot of folks that I interface with that you know, maybe a PT or OT or speech therapist um, and they have a love of technology. They have used technology in the clinic and they're ready to see sort of in what other ways they can use their interest and experience to maybe guide technology development or um, be a beta tester for a, a new piece of equipment or a new device. So we just wanna create some authentic connections around people that are using technology in rehab and those uh, on the industry side that really need the value that therapists can bring to the table um, when developing new technologies to serve uh, patients and clinicians in this space. Yeah. So we're excited about it. Um, yeah, there are a couple of different tracks for participants. So We have some career spotlights that'll walk uh, attendees through stories like mine and other folks that have moved their careers from the clinic into a variety of different areas in technology, whether it be research or education. in tech or product development or even as an inventor or entrepreneur Um, and then we have a number of skill building tracks that will introduce people to um, ways to integrate technology throughout the continuum um, how best to leverage technology in your clinical practice and even more specific skills like um, user-centered design and user research and how we can use these kinds of principles to contribute to um, the development and further evolution of technology in the rehab
1: space. Well, cool deal. And what are the dates for that?
2: Yeah, we are um, running the, of course, the online or virtual conference (laughs) the 19th of February through the 21st. Um, There'll be a number of both live interactive, Um, networking sessions, as well as a lot of recorded content. And folks have uh, 90 days after the event to have access to all of the content as well. So I think we're close to 50 sessions of content now and lots of um, opportunities to connect with companies and therapists, as well as even some of the professional organizations, uh, really all centered around how do we use technology and, and how do we um, network with folks that are really interested in contributing to this space.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. What's the link for that if people want to go check it out?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's rehabtechsummit.com. So pretty straightforward. Um, our tickets will be up and, you know, you can read speaker bios and look at all of the, uh, the event content. And we're really looking forward to again, creating a community and some great dialogue around um, the further development and uh, the further incorporation of therapists having a seat at the table um, in technology development.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, Last question would be, where can people find out more about you, about the work that you do if they want to connect?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Always happy to connect on LinkedIn. Um, I think that's uh, a place that we really encourage, particularly folks that are wanting to learn about technology and leverage their skills and maybe a, a tech-related field um, to make sure that they're out and networking on LinkedIn. So find me there and I would love to connect.
1: Awesome. Well, Lauren, thanks for the time. We'll connect uh, all the all the links to the summit, to your profile and all that on in the show notes. So you can check that out when we're there. Thanks.
2: Excellent. Thank you so much.
1: Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Lauren Sheehan talking about tech in rehab. Again, I think listening back and, and you know, as I'm prepping this interview now to make it go live, whenever it does go live, <laughs> um, it's always interesting to me where these conversations kind of go. And the idea of getting involved in technology and bringing tech to market and this new tool or this new piece of software, this uh, this technological device maybe that can help somebody better their life, improve their quality of life. You never get away from those core fundamentals, right? Even though it's something very unique, uh, very proprietary in some cases where you're talking about specific patented technologies or softwares or codes or whatever ultimately speaking it all comes down to some of those basics and for me at least one of the big takeaways was that again that knowledge translation piece the system that you have in place or don't have in place to make sure that the technology that you're bringing to market that this new um, new treatment technique this new device this new whatever is not only uh, brought to market or brought out unveiled if you would but that it's sustainable For the long term so that you have clinicians training new clinicians on how to use it and and what's the best method and the best way to do it Um, that you're relying on the the latest research the published research about this device and its efficacy for these situations for these you know cases because again you know every patient is uniquely different but we do need to rely on broad generalizations if you would in the literature to make those decisions that's why I know we had this conversation a a little bit with uh, Barry French talking about Traser, Uh, Lauren and I kind of mentioned it a little bit in the interview. Like this idea that technology and AI and computer learning is going to replace clinicians is really at its root kind of unfounded because what gives us value as clinicians is the ability to take the... In a sense, it's just our clinical decision-making, right? Like It's our ability to take the, the data, the science that we know from research, and then integrate that or use that in a way to really make specific impacts on an individual and their individual circumstances and, and uh, individual factors going on, again, you know we take a biopsychosocial approach here at least we should be in our in our treatment and every person even if they've got the same diagnosis the same exact mechanism of injury are going to be uniquely different in the way they recover based solely on their psychosocial factors so the idea that you know getting more technology into healthcare or using computers to help us make some of those clinical decisions the idea that that kind of innovation in the space is going to lead to unemployment or lead to this rash of, of organizations laying off all kinds of clinicians, I think in the end is unfounded. I mean, sure. There are always people in, in every industry that, that lose their jobs and jobs go away because technology innovates. Right. But at the end of the day, the people that provide value, that, that are able to provide value through their, through their knowledge, through their insights, through their ability to take that technology and then use it as a force multiplier, if you would, in their clinical practice, are going to be the clinicians that have jobs for the long term. And uh, you know, it's just something that I'm super, super excited about, seeing the cool things that are yet to come in healthcare. I mean, technology is expanding at a rapid, rapid rate, and especially in the rehab space where I, I'm from as a clinician, as, a, as an occupational therapist working in physical dysfunction in, in the outpatient world, in the musculoskeletal world, we have not done a, jo- a good job as an industry of leveraging the power of technology whether it be in the data that we're collecting or not collecting, in the tools that we're using as treatment platforms, or um, as, as a mechanism for patient education and service delivery. You know, at our clinic um, Proactive, we just launched some service offerings that are, for lack of a better word, asynchronous telehealth um, packages for, for patients that involve some it's a combination of inpatient in-clinic treatment combined with, secure messaging and asynchronous visits if you would and we're super excited about being able to deliver that because one we're we're the only one in the area that's doing it but it's it's a real to me anyways and not because i just developed the 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 idea but um it just seems like a very easy way to take technology that has not been used or utilized by clinicians in this space really at all and do it in a way that's not just run of the mill. Um, we're just going to do another, you know, we'll take what you were doing in the clinic and we'll make it online, but really using it as an augment to standard traditional therapy. And I'm really excited to see how it, how it develops going forward. I'm sure in like six months, well, maybe when I mention it again, it'll be a different like, Oh, this didn't work. We had to do this. And that's, that's part of bringing innovation to the market. But, um, Again, I would I would just encourage anybody listening, whether you're an administrator, whether you're a clinic owner, whether you're a boots on the ground clinician, think about ways that you can take some of this technology that we already have at our fingertips and that we already use in other circumstances, and figure out how you can incorporate it into your treatment to either decrease the cost of care, improve the access to care, um, with really with the ultimate goal of improving the outcomes for patients in a way that is decreasing their overall cost because as we progress as we keep on going costs don't seem to be going down in healthcare and anything we can do to save payers to save patients money is going to again increase our value and the the job security if you would so if you're doing if you're not doing it for any other reason than self-serving reasons think about your job security and if you're able to save people money <laughs> you're you're going to be fine so Anyways, that's it for this episode. Look for the next episode. So we're going to be talking with Dr. Ian Harris about his book that was published in 2016 called Surgery, the Ultimate Placebo. So it is going to be a great conversation around clinical decision-making, and Dr. Harris really challenges our... He's an orthopedic surgeon, but he really challenges the way we make decisions as clinicians based off of, you know, maybe we make a decision because it's quote unquote standard practice or whatever. And he really drives home the point that just because it's standard practice doesn't mean we should be doing it and it might actually be harmful in the long run. So look for that, um, look for that interview dropping in a couple weeks. Um, if you like the show, if you like what we're doing, head on over to iTunes, leave us a rating interview. It helps people find the show. Or you can head on over to www.betteroutcomes.show, find a list of all of our previous episodes, links to folks, uh, to the guests on the show if you want to connect with some of them. Um, and that's it. Uh, until the next time, guys, be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then.
0: Thanks for listening to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.RehabYouPracticeSolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.